Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's national women's current affairs program, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Nicole Kirby. This week, we hear from a grassroots movement in Egypt. Nadia Al-Bukri joins us from Cairo to speak about the Busi Project. It's a storytelling project that creates a safe space to talk about social issues and personal experiences that are silenced in mainstream Egyptian society. The project began in 2006, when two university students in Cairo started putting on performances by and about women. A group of ordinary young women from a range of backgrounds started writing their stories for themselves. Since then, the project has grown, and it's staging performances all over Egypt. Busi now incorporates stories from both men and women, and aims to tackle the complexity of gender issues from a variety of perspectives. At the moment, a crowdfunding campaign is underway to secure a permanent space for the project to continue in Cairo. Later on in the program, we'll also hear from Roxane Gay and her Confessions of a Bad Feminist. But first, here's Nadia El-Bukri of the Bussi Project, speaking from Cairo to 3CR presenter Anya Andest. The Bussi Project is an arts movement and project based in Cairo, Egypt. We focused mostly on gender and women's issues uh, through our storytelling workshops where we invite women from all over Egypt to join us to discuss issues like sexual violence, uh, street harassment, uh, female genital mutilation, which is also known as female circumcision, um, honor killings, and then also lighter subjects like, um, you know, how, how to dress on the street, you know, why why men harass you if you're wearing certain clothes mm-hmm. or wearing the, the veil, um, family issues, um, things that are basically considered social taboos that you wouldn't normally talk about openly. Um, women come together and they talk about it in, in these spaces that we create for them. Uh, mm-hmm. And during these workshops, we... Uh, collect stories from the women. Uh, so through usually audio, uh, sometimes we film them. Uh, a lot of times women will write stories and send them to us. And then we collect these stories and create them into a performance based on certain themes and mm-hmm. you know what's relevant at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And then the women who are in our workshops actually go on stage and, and they tell their own stories Mm. Uh, and this is how we raise awareness about these issues because you know we'll have hundreds of people come to the performance Mm -hmm. Um, performances are how we raise awareness about the the issues um, that the women you know bring up in the workshops because hundreds of people may come to our performances in Cairo or in other cities in Egypt and in in this way maybe women seeing other women telling their stories on stage will encourage them or empower them to tell their own stories. And maybe if men are hearing these stories, they might second-guess harassing the next woman, woman they see, or they might, you know, stand up for women on the street if they see them being harassed. Mm. We don't know, you know, exactly how it's affecting people, because obviously there's no way to measure this. But, you know, we just know that if people are in front of the stage hearing these stories, that there's some sort of awareness being raised Mm. um, just by them hearing them. Mm, Absolutely. And I guess 
like yeah if you can't you can't we can't know for sure how many people are being affected i mean egypt is a really has a really big population i mean cairo alone has 20 million people um so yeah of course it's going to be difficult to to measure it um but i guess uh, an easier way to to measure these things is to just see how many people uh, are affected by the project from within it like people who are obviously engaging with it and people who who are as you say are sending their stories um to then be turned into scripts for performances. Um, could you tell us what does the project kind of stem from? What kind of environment has led to Bussi being such an important initiative, specifically in Egypt? Well, in Egypt, I'm sure um, it's in Australia, the rates of sexual harassment on the streets um, have really increased over the past few years, especially since the revolution. Um and there have been a lot of studies and the numbers that are coming out are 99% of women face sexual harassment, over 90%, things like that. And that's probably true. Um, but what we kind of tried to reach the core of are to get, to get away from these statistics because you hear, okay, 99% of women experience sexual harassment on the street, but how, what are they doing? How do they feel? Who's doing it? What kind of environment are they in? Um, what happens afterwards? You know, these are things that these statistics don't really touch on, and that's what the workshops touch on. Um, because, you know, doing a survey to find out have you ever been harassed in the metro? Have you ever been harassed on the street? That doesn't really tell you anything about life in Egypt. It doesn't. It doesn't inspire you to find some way to make change. But asking the women, like, when is, like, what happened? What's the backstory? Mm. How did you feel? What do you think you would change about that situation if you could? That is a way to inspire change. Mm -hmm. And it really gets people to to think about uh, the actual kind of the, the meat of that story. Um, and then to think about how it could be different um, and and not just women but also for men to to think about that i i'm assuming exactly yeah so in in 2010 um bossy uh, kind of transitioned from being uh, a university affiliated group to an independent theater project uh, holding a number of performances on stages all over Egypt. Um, and over time, Bussi performances began incorporating these stories from both men and women. Um, and today, the project extends beyond just women's issues, um, in inverted commas, um, as Bussi now aims to tackle the complexity of gender issues from the perspectives of both women and men. Um, could you tell us a bit about how, how that transition has happened and how men are involved in the project now? Sure. I mean, when we have <clears throat> workshops, we kind of just announce open calls. Last year, um, we had done a workshop specifically on gender dynamics and masculinity versus femininity. And that was actually like one of the first times that we really addressed directly the issue of masculinity um, in one of our workshops and performances. And this was a really interesting project because it involved and men actually being asked direct questions about, you know, what they think masculinity is, how does it translate into society, mm. and and that kind of thing. Um, so that that was actually a push for like we decided to work with men on this project. Mm. In 
other workshops, um, for example, when we traveled outside of Cairo to Bursaid and Sioux, which are um, two governorates. Uh, to smaller locations? Uh, yes. Um, we announced open calls for the workshops and men just showed up. <laughs> so um, we hadn't expected it and we accommodated it. Um, and it ended up being a really interesting mix of people, mm-hmm. uh, especially outside of Cairo. The workshops tend to be more diverse, actually, <clears throat> hmm. because we'll have, you know, older women with us, you know, not older, but, you know, middle-aged women with children who are married um, in the same room as 19-year-old women. And then now we have, you know, men in their 20s uh, in this mix as well. So the age range was between 19 and, and 45 and mix of genders. So it was, mm. it was a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and how, how are men contributing to the project? Well, uh, one of our workshop facilitators is actually a man. And uh, we, for SUT, tried something different. Uh, SUT is a very conservative city. Um, it's very divided on religious terms. Uh, and... Also, women face a lot, a lot of harassment. So we decided to bring uh, a male workshop facilitator because we kind of expected that men might come to the workshops. And we were right to do so because in the beginning, having a mixed workshop was very difficult for people to open up. The, the women were uncomfortable speaking in front of the men. So we ended up splitting up the workshop for a few days for just women and just men uh, just to kind of break down the wall because in the first few days of workshops it's very difficult to um, get people to open up because they don't know you Mm. so it makes sense that we have to build this trust Mm. actually it worked out really great in that once we came back together the everybody was more open to communicating with each other and um, when we had our performance in a suit, actually, the women were unable to go on stage because if it were made public that they were telling their stories, mm-hmm. um, it might cause problems for them and their families and in their communities. So actually, the men in the workshops went on stage and told the women's stories. Mm-hmm. So it was a really, really powerful experience. They knew that their stories had to be out there and the men were so willing to tell it and we reached the point where the men were, were able to empathize with the women and that's the best way for them to be able to tell the stories if they if they can empathize. Mm, absolutely. Um, so tell us a bit more about some of the performances. I'm just looking on, on the website. Um, I saw some interesting ones. For example, um, 500 Yats, which is a performance of true stories from teenagers in Egypt, um, which developed from a series of workshops, kind of like how you describe, um, but with high school students um, and Bussy's professional storyteller. And, yeah, they kind of explore different, themes um of their lives um yeah what are what are some of the ones that stand out for you we did high school workshops mainly because we hadn't worked with high school students before and the stories tended to be more funny because you know it's they're high school students but the the performance actually was centered around an incident of uh sexual violence that took place in 1994 so the performance was actually kind of an adapted play. There, there was the fictional aspect of it, and then the the 
the, uh, stories from the workshops. There was a, an incident of assault in 1994 at a school in Cairo, which is a true story, where a girl um, was violated by a group of boys at a nearby high school, and they she actually got into her car, and then they picked up her car and moved it into a, a garage. A garage? In it and, yes, and, um, and assaulted her. So the, the performance kind of centers around this story, and the performance is almost like an investigation of, like, what happened, who assaulted her, who was there, who saw it. And so it, it, it plays on the dark and light aspects of what it's like to be a high school student in, in Egypt. Women on the line. At the moment, uh, Bussi has actually started a fundraising campaign, uh, crowdfunding, because you guys need to find a space to hold these storytelling workshops and performances um, and a safe space uh, for individual interviews, um, as well as to document um, film testimonies. Um, t- tell us, yeah, why, yeah, why are you kind of fundraising? Why, why does Bussi need the support? of people, you know, maybe listening to this interview? Uh, well, the crowdfunding campaign is more than just finding us a space. It's to keep the project alive. At this point, when we have workshops, we have to wait for a fund from a donor and then, you know, come up with justification for why we have to have this workshop and why it's important. Um, and that's really, it's not sustainable and it kind of almost goes against our projects because... The, our our workshop should be more frequent, and, and and you know, the justification is that we have to have them because women need a place to speak and men need a place to speak. So yes, with with the the money that we raise from crowdfunding, we will uh, acquire our own space, which will be joint office and workshop space. I'll also use it as a rehearsal space, an event events room, and we'll also use the money to kind of get on our way to be self-sustaining. So this will be through monthly workshops, um, through events. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to, to buy our own equipment so that when we have performances, it doesn't cost us an arm and a leg to just execute one performance. Mm. Um, and this will make all of these activities more frequent and will also generate more revenue for us to be able to do this on our own in about two years. So that's the goal is that the the crowdfunding campaign should sustain us for two years and then get us on our way to be self-sustaining after that. Mm, Um, And the most important thing really is our space. We've had workshops in, you know, different kinds of venues, um, anywhere from a church to uh, a university campus, sometimes our living rooms, um, just really random, excuse me, random places, which takes away from this idea that we're providing a safe and consistent space for for our storytellers. If we don't have a safe and consistent space, that's that's our goal right now. Mm. And you're raising seventy thousand dollars via this crowdfunding campaign. Um, where can people go to to fund to give money? Everything can be found on our Facebook page. On the Facebook page, or just uh, the Bussy Project, which is spelled B-U-S-S-Y. And uh, we've also we're 
doing the crowdfunding via Indiegogo. Um, the links and videos, pictures, and stories are all through our Facebook page as well. You can also find information on our workshops and performances on our website, which is bussy.co, same spelling, B-U-S-S-Y dot C-O. On Community Radio Around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. I'm Nicole Kirby, and that was Nadia Elbukri speaking to Anya Andest about the Busi Project, a storytelling project that aims to address gender issues in Egypt. You can contribute to their crowdfunder by going to their website, busi, B-U-S-S-Y, dot co. Or if you're in Melbourne, you can attend a film screening fundraiser for Busi on the 19th of August. Details on the Women on the Line Facebook page. Next up, here's Roxanne Gay, American writer and commentator, delivering her TED Talk, Confessions of a Bad Feminist. I am failing as a woman. I am failing as a feminist. I have passionate opinions about gender equality, but... I worry that to freely accept the label of feminist would not be fair to good feminists. I'm a feminist, but I'm a rather bad one. Oh, so I call myself a bad feminist. Or at least I wrote an essay, and then I wrote a book called Bad Feminist, and then in interviews, people started calling me the bad feminist. (laughs) So what started as a bit of an inside joke with myself and a willful provocation has become a thing. Let me take a step back. When I was younger, mostly in my teens and 20s, I had strange ideas about feminists as hairy, angry, man-hating, sex-hating women, as if those are bad things. (laughs) These days, I look at how women are treated the world over, and anger in particular seems like a perfectly reasonable response. But back then, I worried about the tone people used when suggesting I might be a feminist. The feminist label was an accusation. It was an F word and not a nice one. I was labeled a woman who doesn't play by the rules, who expects too much, who thinks far too highly of myself by daring to believe I am equal, superior to a man. You don't want to be that rebel woman until you realize that you very much are that woman and cannot imagine being anyone else. As I got older, I began to accept that I am indeed a feminist and a proud one. I hold certain truths to be self-evident. Women are equal to men. We deserve equal pay for equal work. We have the right to move through the world as we choose, free from harassment or violence. We have the right to easy, affordable access to birth control and reproductive services. We have the right to make choices about our bodies free from legislative oversight or evangelical doctrine. We have the right to respect. There's more. When we talk about the needs of women, we have to consider the other identities we inhabit. We are not just women. We are people with different bodies, gender expressions, faiths, sexualities, class backgrounds, abilities, and so much more. We need to take into account these differences and how they affect us as much as we account for what we have in common. Without this kind of inclusion, our feminism is nothing. 
I hold these truths to be self-evident, but let me be clear. I'm a mess. I am full of contradictions. There are many ways in which I'm doing feminism wrong. I have another confession. When I drive to work, I listen to thuggish rap at a very loud volume. <laughs> Even though the lyrics are degrading to women, these lyrics offend me to my core. The classic yin-yang twin song, Salt Shaker, it is amazing. <laughs> Make it work with your wet t-shirt. Bitch, you gotta shake it till your camel starts to hurt. <laughs> Poetry, right? I am utterly mortified by my music choices. I firmly believe in man work, which is anything I don't want to do, including <laughs> all domestic tasks, but also bug killing, trash removal, lawn care, and vehicle maintenance. I want no part of any of that. Pink is my favorite color. I enjoy fashion magazines and pretty things. I watch The Bachelor and romantic comedies, and I have absurd fantasies about fairy tales coming true. Some of my transgressions are more flagrant. If a woman wants to take her husband's name, that is her choice, and it is not my place to judge. If a woman chooses to stay home to raise her children, I embrace that choice, too. The problem is not that she makes herself economically vulnerable in that choice. The problem is that our society is set up to make women economically vulnerable when they choose. Let's deal with that. I read... I reject the mainstream feminism that has historically ignored or deflected the needs of women of color, working-class women, queer women, and transgender women in favor of supporting white, middle, and upper-class straight women. Listen, if that's good feminism, I am a very bad feminist. There is also this. As a feminist, I feel a lot of pressure. We have this tendency to put visible feminists on a pedestal. We expect them to pose perfectly. When they disappoint us, we gleefully knock them from the very pedestal we put them on. Like I said, I am a mess. Consider me knocked off that pedestal before you ever try to put me up there. <laughs> Too many women, particularly groundbreaking women and industry leaders, are afraid to be labeled as feminists. They're afraid to stand up and say, yes, I am a feminist, for fear of what that label means, for fear of being unable to live up to unrealistic expectations. Take, for example, Beyoncé, or as I call her, the goddess. She has emerged in recent years as a visible feminist. At the 2014 MTV Video Music Awards, she performed in front of the word feminist 10 feet high. It was a glorious spectacle to see this pop star openly embracing feminism and letting young women and men know that being a feminist is something to celebrate. As the moment faded, cultural critics began endlessly debating whether or not Beyoncé was indeed a feminist. They graded her feminism instead of simply taking a grown, accomplished woman at her word. We demand perfection from feminists because we are still fighting for so much, we want so much, we need so damn much. We go far beyond reasonable, constructive criticism to dissecting any given woman's feminism, tearing it apart until there's nothing left. We do not need to do that. Bad feminism, or really more inclusive feminism, is a starting point, but what happens next? We go from acknowledging our imperfections to accountability, or walking the walk and being a little bit brave. If I listen to degrading music, I am creating a demand for which artists are more than happy to contribute a limitless supply. 
These artists are not going to change how they talk about women in their songs until we demand that change by affecting their bottom line. Certainly, it is difficult. Why must it be so catchy? It's hard to make the better choice, and it is so easy to justify a lesser one. But when I justify bad choices, I make it harder for women to achieve equality, the equality that we all deserve, and I need to own that. I think of my nieces, ages three and four. They are gorgeous and headstrong, brilliant girls who are a whole lot of brave. I want them to thrive in a world where they are valued for the powerful creatures they are. I think of them, and suddenly the better choice becomes far easier to make. We can all make better choices. We can change the channel when a television show treats sexual violence against women like sport, Game of Thrones. We can change the radio station when we hear songs that treat women as nothing. We can spend our box office dollars elsewhere when movies don't treat women as anything more than decorative objects. We can stop supporting professional sports where the athletes treat their partners like punching bags. In other ways, men, and especially straight white men, can say no. I will not publish with your magazine or participate in your project or otherwise work with you until you include a fair number of women, both as participants and decision makers. I won't work with you until your publication or your organization is more inclusive of all kinds of difference. Those of us who are underrepresented and invited to participate in such projects can also decline to be included until more of us are invited through the glass ceiling and we are tokens no more. Without these efforts, without taking these stands, our accomplishments are going to mean very little. We can commit these small acts of bravery and hope that our choices trickle upward to the people in power. Editors, movie and music producers, CEOs, lawmakers, the people who can make bigger, braver choices to create lasting, meaningful change. We can also boldly claim our feminism, good, bad, or anywhere in between. The last line of my book, Bad Feminist, says, I would rather be a bad feminist than no feminist at all. This is true for so many reasons, but first and foremost, I say this because once upon a time, my voice was stolen from me, and feminism helped me to get my voice back. There was an incident. I call it an incident so I can carry the burden of what happened. Some boys broke me when I was so young, I did not know what boys can do to break a girl. They treated me like I was nothing. I began to believe I was nothing. They stole my voice, and in the after, I did not dare to believe that anything I might say could matter. But I had writing, and there I wrote myself back together. I wrote myself toward a stronger version of myself. I read the words of women who might understand a story like mine, and women who looked like me, and understood what it was like to move through the world with brown skin. I read the words of women who showed me I was not nothing. I learned to write like them, and then I learned to write as myself. I found my voice again, and I started to believe that my voice is powerful beyond measure. Through writing and feminism, I also found that if I was a little bit brave, another woman might hear me and see me and recognize that none of us are the nothing the world tries to tell us we are. In one hand, I hold the power to accomplish anything, and in my other, I hold the humbling reality that I am just one woman. I am a bad feminist, I am a good woman, 
I am trying to become better in how I think and what I say and what I do, without abandoning everything that makes me human. I hope that we can all do the same. I hope that we can all be a little bit brave when we most need such bravery. You're listening to Women on the Line, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. That was Roxanne Gay and her TED Talk, Confessions of a Bad Feminist. Roxanne Gay is the author of Bad Feminist and An Untamed State. Earlier on the show, you heard from Nadia El-Bukri, interviewed by Anya Endurst, speaking about the Bussi project in Egypt. For more on that, go to Bussi, B-U-S-S-Y dot co, or the Bussi Project on Facebook, and make a donation to their crowdfunder if you can. That's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelion at hotmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website www.3cr.org.au slash womenontheline. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Nicole Kirby. I hope you can join us again next time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.